Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. It was a hard and painful and divisive year. Uh, starting right with a pandemic that comes out of Asia and hits Europe and starts spreading across the world. And then there's protest after protest in city after city in America as race becomes this massive hot topic. And it's all over the news and the pictures we're seeing seem unbelievable as police and protesters clash and, and newspapers write that America is coming apart at the seams. And there are marches on DC from both sides, from every side. And there's this incredibly contentious presidential election and, and there's more marches and there's more destruction and there's more fretting over America coming apart at the seams. And then you have American political and social leaders being assassinated one after the other on balconies and stages across the country. Now, the year that I'm talking about is 1968. But you'd be forgiven for feeling like I was describing this last year and maybe wondering if in all the news cycle you missed the assassinations part. But, try not to pop, I promise. But I bring that up simply to say a couple of things. One, that this is not the first time as we look back through the lens and context of history, this is, this is not the first time that we as a country have been divided. This is not the most divided we have ever been. It is not the first time that we have clashed with each other in the streets. And it, as we look back through the lens and context in history, I think it's also worth noting that 1968 set off a near decade of political and social turbulence and upheaval. Maybe even a decade and a half, depending on how you feel about disco. Could go either way. <laughs> now, most of us, I don't wanna say, maybe not most, I, there's a large number of us who do not remember 1968, and I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, don't worry. But we can look back at history, and many people who do this for a living, the analysts and experts, uh, whatever it takes to become an analyst and expert of American history, I don't know, but the analysts and experts are looking back and saying, actually, we can look forward and say, yeah, we likely are headed for something similar. That every yeah, 50, 60 years, we have some sort of massive seismic shift of culture like what we've experienced in the last year. And like the seismic shifts before us, the church in many cases was caught on our heels. We didn't know how to respond. We didn't know what to do. We're not sure what to say or how to lead toward healing or point toward Jesus when we're so used to doing it in one context and now it feels like context has changed. 
And I think it's worth asking the question, how do we, worth asking the question why I keep doing that to you guys. I'm going to try to stop, I promise. Um, It's worth asking the question, how do we engage with the world around us now? If we really are looking at something that is not a, hey, let's get back to, let's party like it's 2018, Right, we're, not, we're not going backwards. Is we're looking forward, how, how do we engage with this world now? And I think before we ask that, I think we have to ask the question, what are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be engaging? What is the church supposed to do? Any thoughts? Yep. Okay, yes, can do. Sorry, guys. If we do that for, for 10 minutes, you're going to kill me, let alone 20. So. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Yes. Okay, I've never been laughed at in a cuter fashion. I know you guys at home can't hear it, but oh, no, I'm still popping. All right, we'll see what happens. We may have to, to switch to the handheld here at some point. Okay, we'll see how this works. Okay, what was that pose? Somebody was saying that I'm going to... Okay, so when I mentioned 1968, I did not mean that I needed to be a 1968 TV antenna, right? Did you guys... I don't remember, but I've seen the pictures of people like, oh, we can almost get Cronkite. It's almost there. All right, anyway. Bunny ears. Bunny ears. Thing. Okay. All right. We'll try again. If, if this is true, that we're, we're not headed toward a season of everything smoothing out, or even if we are, the world has changed so much The cultural changes that were happening have been so accelerated, whether those are technological changes, that one I know is my fault. All right, wait for it. Wait for it. Okay, all right. Okay, we're going to try this again. We're going to see. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Nah. Okay. I may need one of those uh, just uh, on, on a stand or something. So I stop uh, popping. I don't know what I did wrong. Sorry, guys. Uh, pausing. We need one. Of, that's what we need. Do you, uh, some of you may be old enough to remember that uh, before we had 24-hour stations. Okay, so now wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold. Wait, I'm gonna hold this for just a second, and I'm gonna talk into this thing, 
And, and, oh, did you mute me? Is that why it's not popping? I thought maybe it was working. Okay, I lied. <laughs> All right, if we try this one, okay. Sorry, what I was going to reference is some of you remember that before there were 24-hour stations, uh, TV went to sleep, right? And there was that like, we'll be back tomorrow screen that came up that you're like, guess I missed it. Guess I'll have to go to bed. Now you're like, cool. Don't even have to sleep anymore. We just watch TV all the time. All right. Where was I? Holy smokes. Okay. 1968, 2020. Uh, church. Right. We're going to talk about Jesus. Okay. Just in case you were concerned that we weren't going to get there. We, we are. Uh, last week, we talked about the church some. We talked about Jesus's prayer for us. We talked about his uh, desires for us that are revealed in that prayer, that his greatest desire for us is for us to be united with God and each other. And through this prayer in John 17, it comes through over and over and over again, that we would be united with God, that we would belong to him together. And that because we belong to him together, we together come under his authority. We come under the authority of Jesus. And then we are sent out under that authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So now go. We have this mission that we are on. That we are sent out on this mission to glorify God. And we talked about last week that glorifying God does not mean somehow making more of God, making God bigger in some way. It's not putting God up on a pedestal and saying, look, God is so much more important now because I glorified him. That's not how God works. God is important whether we recognize him or not. He is all-knowing and all-powerful whether we recognize it or not. That to glorify God really means to reveal who he is, to reveal God to each other and the world. We unite together with God and each other. We unite together to give God glory, to reveal him to the world and to each other. That we're revealing who God is. God has, for some reason, chosen people, chosen the church, chosen you and me to reveal himself through to the world and to each other, to reveal him, not, not our truth, not our ideologies or politics, but rather to get rid of anything that gets in between us and revealing all that God truly is. Now, the problem is the church in America can't even decide who we are long enough to show off who God is. And before you feel like this is totally abstract and, and has nothing to do with your day-to-day -day life, which I can understand a, a preacher standing up here saying, well, here's what the church should do, starts to feel very disconnected to your everyday life. So I would like to remind us that the church is not organizations. Do organizations need to pay attention to how we're going to engage the world around us in these days? Yes, absolutely. But what we're talking about this morning is a church is not a church because it's got a nonprofit status with the state. 
A church is a group of people who have given their lives to Jesus, who come together to do that better because we're united with each other and with God than we would do it on our own. You and I are the church. So how do we, not just when we're gathered together on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week, when we're separated from each other, when we still need to take care of each other, when we got people in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities to care for and love, how do we, the church, engage? Who are we? Who are we called to be? How do we reveal God better? See, God, God is at peace. God is at peace. God is in unity. God is never rushed or panicked. Can you imagine the counterculturalness of the church, of Jesus following people in our country, simply revealing a God who is not rushed or panicked, who's not stressed or afraid? who is at peace and in unity. When we're divided and despondent and disturbed, we are not revealing God. So, who are we? Who is God's church? That's the question we want to define this morning. Who is God's church? And again, God's church is made up of people, but, but who are we as Jesus followers going to be? Are we theological watchdogs? Are we political voting blocks? Are we power brokers, agenda makers, cultural warriors, judge, jury, and executioner for every sinner out there? Who are we and what are we here for? Now, those are fairly large questions, particularly when, again, the church isn't just an organization. The church is a group of people. So we are all answering this question who are we? Who am I? What am I here for? What are we here for? What is Jesus's call on our lives? So it seems like it would be most helpful to look at what Jesus said we would be. So we uh, looked last week at his prayer for us and then also at his mission for us. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We'll talk more about that in a second. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But then the passage that everybody rightfully loves to point to when we start talking about the church and defining the church is actually in the next chapter in Acts chapter two. So this is after the Holy Spirit has come. Remember, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses uh, once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So there's this incredible story that uh, we call Pentecost, we celebrate as Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit shows up in what looks like little tiny flames of fire hanging out over people's heads, and they speak in uh, dozens of different languages, and, and it's this crazy scene, and some people think they're all drunk, and and Peter, one of Jesus's closest followers, who, as we read through uh, this story this week, uh, as we read Acts chapter 2 and, and the story of Pentecost, 
my thought was, man, Peter was made for this moment. Peter, who was so brash and spoke before he thought, like, just know uh, what when, when we worked with teenagers, we called a mouth filter. Like, there needs to be some filter between what goes in your head and out your mouth. And Peter's was a little busted. Like, he didn't always work right. Sometimes thoughts went in his head and came out of his mouth, and he got in a lot of trouble for it. And yet, here's a moment with all this chaos going on where somebody needs to stand up and say, this is what's going on, and just give the bare core truth. And then Peter stands up and he says, this is what's going on. And he, he walks through what has led up to this moment, the death and resurrection of Jesus and the importance of this moment of the Holy Spirit coming upon people and what it was going to mean for the people. Peter was made for this moment. And then as, uh, in, in fact, as we read through that story, we read Peter's uh, sermon, basically, uh, maybe the most effective sermon in human history because 3,000 people said, okay, well, then I'll give my life to Jesus. 3,000 people because of what the Holy Spirit was doing amongst them because of the words that God poured out through Peter. By the way, uh, we are reading through uh, the New Testament this summer. I know many of you have heard that. If uh, you have not joined in, you're welcome to jump in uh, we're, what, Acts 16, starting tomorrow? I think that's right. And uh, if you, because I, I know this is, this is going to be a lot of us at some point this summer. If you started out really well for the first, like, three days, really awesome. Awesome, honestly, awesome. Good job for three days. Okay, so now you missed a few. Start again tomorrow. Okay, just start. It's okay. Just skip the ones you skipped. It's fine. The, the Bible's not going anywhere. You can come back to it later. So just start again tomorrow. Read through with us some incredible stories of what God did in the early church right now in the book of Acts. And one of them is this story of Pentecost and these 3,000 people who say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. And so now there's 3,000 people who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. So they have to form a community of people to do so. And this is how Luke the writer of the book of Acts describes that community. He says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Okay, there's so much good in here. What's wrong with this picture? I'm very grateful to uh, my pastor friend, Scott, for pointing this out to me because this is a beautiful description. We'll talk about how beautiful and all the great things going on in it in just a second. But what's, what's wrong with this picture? Let's, let's go back to Acts 1.8 and look at what Jesus said uh, the mission was. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Where is this awesome thing happening? in Jerusalem. They're doing an amazing thing in Jerusalem, but that's not the whole mission. 
They're to be sent out. And as we read through the book of Acts, persecution scatters the church. And they end up fulfilling it. The book of Acts 1.8 sort of becomes the, uh, the thesis statement for the book of Acts. Where, where Luke has said, this, this is what Jesus said is the goal, and now Luke lays it out for us. So here's the Holy Spirit coming upon them, and then they start in Jerusalem, and they go Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They get there. I think sometimes we can believe that the epitome of church is simply gathering, gathering together and taking care of each other. Now, that's a really good church, and we should gather together and take care of each other. But there is also a sending out. There is a mission for us to be on, just like there was for them. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the Acts 2 church. God blessed it. He added to their number every day. Clearly, God was not offended that they stuck around in Jerusalem. That needed to happen. They needed to have the community to build on, to, to know they were supported by as they went out on mission. But there are both parts. So, Let's, uh, let's put this together in, in a definition. Can we stick uh, Acts 1-8 back up there again? We'll start here. We can put this into a definition of who we are. So Jesus says, and you will be my. Let's actually just stop there. We are Jesus Christ's. And if you're writing this uh, definition down in your notes, fill in blanks, that's the first blank. We are Jesus Christ's. And I know that feels kind of basic, but I don't want to miss it because it's so important, clearly. But we need to remember that we belong to him. We come under his authority over everything else. And we also come under his identity. We identify more with Jesus. If we're Jesus followers, we're supposed to identify our lives and our choices more with Jesus than with any other banner or team or party or ideology, Jesus only, Jesus ever. We are Jesus Christ. And then we can go back to Acts uh, 1.8 again. He says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are Jesus Christ's witness to the world. We witness to who he is. In our actions and in our words, we reveal God to the world. One of my favorite, if not my favorite analogy in scripture because scripture paints these beautiful pictures through different analogies. And I think my favorite is that we are light in the darkness. That because we have given our lives to Jesus, because he has filled us, because he goes with us, because we have this truth and this grace to share with the world around us, we are light in the darkness. I love this analogy because I can picture in a dark room light sort of bleeding out into the darkness. And we know that as light goes out, darkness recedes. 
And I, I can picture a candle sitting in the middle of a dark room. A candle surrounded by darkness, and yet darkness itself cannot encroach on it. That the light pushes the darkness away. For us, for you and me. In the midst of the hurt and the hopelessness around us. When we're revealing God to the world, the darkness cannot overcome that light. When we are revealing God into the dark, hurting places of the world, the darkness cannot overcome that light. So then there's two things we need to talk about that have to do with light. One is oxygen, and one I'll call barriers, and there may be a better word for it than that, but we'll, we'll use oxygen and barriers. We know that fire needs air to keep it going. One way to put out a fire is to remove its oxygen, to take the air away. So yes, you can blow out a candle, but you also, when you're starting a fire, right, you kind of blow on it, give it some air, and let it bloom. I know that the darkness we walk into and wander into every day and I know that I have the fortune of working at a church, and so for many of you, this darkness is more prominent in your day-to-day -day life. But whether we're wandering into social media, to some sort of online world, to, to schools, to workplaces, to grocery stores, to family, hard family conversations, the darkness that we walk into every day can feel suffocating. The world's hopelessness, particularly in our darkest, heaviest moments, can feel like it is too much. Spending time with Jesus, which is what all of this reading through the summer is supposed to be setting up, is that we're taking time to spend time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus and spending time with other Jesus people becomes the oxygen we need. That as our flame goes out and we need something to let it bloom again, spending time with Jesus and other Jesus people on a regular basis gives oxygen to the flame that we are supposed to be revealing. We need God revealed to us through his miracles in the darkness, through his scriptures and truth, and through the reminders of other believers. It's that oxygen that keeps our flame burning. It's, uh, in Acts 2.47, it says, All the while they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So we complete our definition. We are Jesus Christ's witness to the world and community for one another. We are Jesus Christ's witness to the world, and we are Jesus's community for each other. It's both. Has to be both. That we reveal God to one another. That we are revealing Jesus Christ, his good news and truth and grace and conviction and joy and hope and love to each other and to the world. 
And in revealing him, we give him glory. In revealing him, we give him the glory. Which means we need to talk about the barriers that stand between us and revealing who God is. So I want you to think about a candle with arms, okay? So all Lumiere style, right? Be our guest. Be our guest. Okay. Anyway, if I got that song stuck in your head, you're welcome. Okay. So that may have totally undercut the series of my point. That's okay. Stay with me. Uh, all right. So candle with arms holding a sign, okay? Sign, candle. All right. I can't tell if people are nodding in agreement or asleep, but that's okay. All right. If this candle with its arms holds up its sign that says, hey world, here's all the things that I really care about and I really want you to know. Hey world, here's the truth that I want you to agree with me on. What happens to the light? It's hidden. It disappears. It is no longer being revealed. When Well, I'll say when I, when we, when I, when I let my ideology, my opinion, my politic become what I want the world to know and believe, when my hospitality, my home, my gifts, my genius become the things that I want the world to love, I'm no longer revealing who God is. I may be revealing me. There's a lot to be said for authentically revealing ourselves. But when my thoughts become what I want the world to believe, when my actions and characteristics become what I want the world to love, I'm putting barriers between the people around me and the God that I'm supposed to be revealing. I've become a witness for me in my worldview, not God and his plan for the world's salvation. All the information that we take in from the world around us is teaching us a worldview. It's teaching us to see things a certain way. To say, these guys are good, these guys are bad, now, now stick with me and, and you'll end up on the good side. These people over here are bad. We need to be against them. These people over here are good. We need to be with them. So stick with me, and you'll end up on the good side. Whether that's buy my product, and you'll end up on the right side of things. If it's believe what I believe, vote the way I vote. The world around us is teaching us a worldview, how to see the world. Politics, news, infomercials, music, all of it. And that doesn't mean we avoid all that stuff. Doesn't mean we plug our ears and pretend it's not happening. We just need to know and recognize and pay attention to what are we being taught? How are we being taught and molded to see the world? The world around us is telling us, especially in an era of social media, that your opinions, your platform, your ability to personally change the world should be your top priority. 
that however you feel, however you can promote yourself, that needs to be your top priority. However you take care of you, top priority. And the darkness kind of pushes on us. And if you think about trying to be that candle in the middle of a dark room, and the darkness isn't going to overcome you, but it kind of pushes back on you. Are you, are you sure? I mean, you, you could really stand up for yourself here. I mean, you could, you could really, you could be the one who changes the world. It could be, it should be all about you. Promote your worldview. Promote yourself. Now, Scripture tells us that darkness cannot overcome the light. I want to tell you that it can, however, convince us to block it out. And whether it has overcome the light or it has simply blocked it from the view of the world, either way, the God that people need so desperately is not revealed. Now, we're not the first people that God has chosen to reveal himself through. Throughout scripture, we see prophets and leaders and common everyday people God chooses to reveal himself through to the world around them. One prophet was a guy named John who showed up right before Jesus began to reveal himself through his earthly ministry. And through his prophetic teaching, through his call to, uh, to turn from people, from their sin and, and, and to change their lives and to turn toward God again, John collected quite a following. And then when Jesus showed up and started revealing himself, who he is, well, a lot of John's followers started following Jesus. Now, at this point, John has a choice to make. And some of his followers came to him and presented this choice. John, what are you going to do? People are wandering away. That guy, that guy, love that. That guy that you said is the Savior, people are following him instead of you. What are you going to do? And this was uh, John's response. We find it in John chapter 3. He says, starting verse 28. He says, you yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less Unless John recognized that his importance to the world, his message, his platform was diminishing. And that was okay because Jesus was being revealed. Now, John's platform was a rocky river shore. I am blessed to have this actual platform <laughs> to stand on and get to share with you what I believe God is stirring in me. 
your platform may be smaller than mine or it may be much larger. But everybody has some sort of platform, some sort of opportunity to speak into the world around us. Whether that's in a family of three, in a classroom, at a lunch table, on YouTube with a million followers. We have a platform that God has placed us in this situation, placed us in that opportunity to reveal him. And it is so tempting. And we are so encouraged to say, hey, world, this is my platform. Listen to all the things I have to say. Listen to all the things about me. Look at how big my platform is. Won't you pay attention to me? To talk like our ideologies or our importance somehow define us. When we're supposed to be defined by the authority and identity of Jesus. Like John, we need to become less so Jesus becomes more. But what does that mean? <laughs> Certainly, it means that we have to have the attitude that Jesus is more important than we are. When we give everything to Jesus, that's what we're talking about. Not just changing some behaviors, but actually allowing our lives to be transformed. That the way we see the world, the way we engage with it is transformed by Jesus, by following him. So does Jesus over me mean that we just shun our platform? I would suggest no. God has put you in that place with the ability and opportunity to reveal him. So what do we do? I'd like to suggest a perspective that I think will help us live this out. The whether your platform is your home, the coffee shop, the classroom, the break room, or social media, how, how do we live this out? What perspective can help us do this? Because for everybody, it's gonna look a little different based on your context. So yes, Jesus must be of greater importance to you than you. Now, look, I get that self-care is important. God made you, he values you, he loves you, he wants you to take care of yourself. I also think that that pendulum can swing and probably has swung way too far to the point where we say, well, if it's not taking care of me, it's probably not healthy, which completely undercuts the idea of sacrifice that Jesus demonstrated for us, which undercuts the idea that Jesus may call us to something that would be hard. So yes, Jesus must be of greater importance than you, but why did John choose to diminish? Truth is, Jesus was going to reveal himself either way. The question was simply whether John tried to stop him or not, which wasn't going to work. 
So why did John make the intentional choice to diminish? I believe that John understood that the message and the people receiving that message were more important than himself. That he took the attitude, not that he was worthless, but that he had to a large degree played his role. And his role now was to continually point toward Jesus and to understand that the message of Jesus, the truth of it, the grace of it, and that the people receiving that message were more important than himself. So as you engage with the people around you, I think it's also important to recognize that you must choose community over you. That somehow in our values, in the way that we live out our lives, in the way that we engage with the world around us, we have to take the attitude that community is more important than self. This is the community that Jesus calls us to in Acts 2. This is the witness that he calls us to in Acts 1. That our community, our church community, the Jesus-following community that worships in this place and that worships all over our, our, our county and our country, that this community is worth sacrificing for. And that the community you engage with every day is more important than you. I don't know that I have shared this particular uh, pet peeve on, uh, on this particular platform, and I really hope I'm not doing this thing with my pet peeve, but one of my observations of Callis County is that we like to treat the place we live like it's our proverbial little brother. And what I mean by that is, you know, the big brother, big sister thing where like you can, I, I can say mean things about, I can beat up little brother, but you can't. So don't, don't you even think about it. But I quite happy to beat up on my little brother. Watch me. We have a tendency to talk about Kelso, Longview, Kalama, Castle Rock, et cetera, in that same form. We'll defend it to people from the outside. Say, no, it's a great place to live. And then when we talk to each other, we just talk about how awful it is. Why do we do that? If it's that awful, why are we still here? <laughs> we actually are going to have to value our community. We're going to have to treat this place where we live like it is a platform God has placed us on. Like is it a place and a people that God has placed us among to reveal him, to reveal who he is, to reveal his truth and love and grace to the world around us. And I know that particularly for those of us introverts, it is tempting to decide that we're just going to follow Jesus on our own and live this like pseudo monk thing where we just, we follow Jesus on our own and we don't really engage any more than we have to with the community around us. And that would be missing the mission that Jesus has called each and every church person, each and every Jesus follower to be on. That we engage with and sacrifice for and serve and love the other Jesus followers around us. And we sacrifice for and we serve and we love and we care for 
the people who don't even know yet how much Jesus loves them. That somehow, in a world where everyone is being told to take care of themselves first, to prop themselves up first, to claim the biggest platform you can claim, that we would say, actually, it's not about me. That I'm, I'm not going to hold up me to cover the light that I'm supposed to be revealing. That in putting our community first, and choosing to sacrifice and love. We are demonstrating the sacrificial love of Jesus and we are revealing who he is to each other and the world around us. We pray with me. <laughs> Father God, we have no idea how turbulent these, this next season is going to be. God, I am so grateful. God, I'm grateful for your steadiness and your faithfulness to us. I'm grateful that you know. I'm grateful that we can dig into scripture and know who wins in the end. God, I'm grateful that even though each and every day for us is hard, we live in a place where we have the freedom to worship you boldly, where we have the freedom to reveal you publicly, where we have the freedom to shine our light without fear of any greater repercussions than some social awkwardness. So God, we come in the freedom we have in this country, and more importantly, in the freedom that we've been given in you, the freedom from sin, the freedom from shame, the freedom to know that you love us, the freedom to reveal that truth to the world around us. God, would you give us the boldness and the courage and the confidence to do that? God, would you point out the ways where we are hiding your light behind things that we want people to agree with us on, that we want people to love about us, that we would show you your unity, your peace. You are not panicked. You are love. God, would you shine through us this week? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.